Can I say we'll give it up? Ray Teary. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for uh, coming all the way from Tempe. My, my pleasure. I was actually at work, so. Was... Oh, right down the road. Yeah. Uh, Ray Teary. Teary. Is that French? It is. Do you know any of the history behind that name? No, my grandfather was adopted, so I don't really know much yeah. about that side of the family. Yeah. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Olathe, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Olathe? Yeah. Huh. And uh, it's not like a small town. It's like 130,000 people. It's like a, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a town. Mm-hmm. And uh, moved here when I was 20. So it was okay. 20 years ago. For college? Yeah, for college. I was at Kansas and just kind of not really doing much. The music school wasn't really anything to write home about. Yeah. And uh, my mom wanted a change of scenery. Mm. And she wanted to come out here with my little sister. who's eight years younger than I am. Mm. And uh, she had a sister out here. And <clears throat> I came out here and checked out the school and... You know, it was a much cooler vibe oh, at yeah. ASU for sure. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So I came out with her and went to school there and met yeah. a pretty blonde and stayed. And yeah. I tell you, man, those pretty blondes, they'll get you. They'll get you, bro. Yeah. yeah and they'll change the course of your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just that, man. I mean, like I was committed to the town before that, honestly. Like there's, there's just a lot of places to play, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. there's, it's, uh, it's like a secret music town, I think. Like, for you, sure. You, you, you I remember growing up, my dad, who's still my favorite drummer, um, he was saying, you know, music is like a dog-eat-dog type situation. And, dude, that hasn't been my experience in Phoenix. Like, for the most part, people are pretty friendly. It doesn't really feel like people are trying to undercut you yeah. all that much like it is in some places. Yeah. And uh, I totally had that that same experience growing up in, in Massachusetts. I moved out 20 years ago uh, this October. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, everyone, there's plenty of work. Like, no one... And it's such a tight community. Like, and there's so many pockets, different genres, different styles, different groups. And I'm like, everyone's getting paid. Everyone's working. No one's an asshole. Mm-hmm. You know, clubs seem to be more receptive. They're not putting you on like a a four band showcase, and you get fifty percent of the people that you bring. You know, like that sort of New York bullshit. I was immediately like, oh, this is nice. Mm-hmm. You know. And it's got like a West Coast vibe, but everyone's hungry. You know, there's like this, I don't know. I agree with you, man. It's like a secret, it's a secret spot. Let's not tell anyone. <laughs> Let's keep that shit between me. Sounds good, yeah. Um, hit me with, all right, so growing up outside of Kansas City, hit me with like some early musical influences, whether it was a, a record that really struck you or like what was the music that you, that, that kind of, inspired you early on and what led you to, to, to become a musician? Yeah, sure. So like I said, my dad is still my favorite drummer. Hmm. Um, and he was like a big prog rock type drummer. Like he's, he's fucking good. Really? Like he's very good. And was playing when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so like drums is my first instrument. I don't remember learning how to play them. Huh. Like just, I don't have any conscious memory. I've just always known how to play drums. Huh. Um, but he was big into like Rush and Kansas and that, sure. that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Doobie Brothers, um, okay. and you know, I just grew up on that. He used to take me to concerts and stuff. He was like really big into the eighties yeah. and then he got away from that, but he still wanted to go to all the concerts, but he didn't have any, didn't really have very many friends anymore. Yeah. 
Um, so he used to take me to all those shows, bro. I remember going to like eight to 10 concerts a year wow. with the guy and he would take me to all these bands. I would have never seen, like I've seen Jimmy Buffett. I would have never paid for a Jimmy Buffett concert, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> he just took me to all these different shows. That's cool. And it got to the point where like the bands were all touring together. So it'd be like a journey and a foreigner and yes. Right. And all they, this sort they of thing. do a package thing. Yeah. You know, a couple of the heavies from that era. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd see like Chicago and it would be like, yeah, only these two members are original. Right. <laughs> okay cool you know (laughs) right and you know some of it was cool some of it was just kind of like you know it was okay i i don't know if this is why but i don't really dig the big amphitheater show Hmm. i never really have i really like going to smaller places and smaller even if you're like a big band like i'd Hmm. rather see you in like a three thousand seat five thousand seat venue if i'm lucky like 300 seat you know versus the big outdoor shed amphitheater yeah yeah yeah. because yeah, then everyone's walking around there are right. people there nobody knows the songs it's just kind of a thing yeah to go do yeah and so your dad was playing original music was he in a cover band like what was what was his yeah it was mostly a cover band i mean yeah. it's you know in kansas city there's not a lot of work so mm. when you're going out you want to hear songs that you know gotcha. they had originals that were very good they're just not there wasn't really a lot of places for him to play and did they did they do you have recordings of, of that? I do, yeah. That's all some old recordings, yeah. On tapes. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Did you just <laughs> seen it when I was able to convert their tapes to digital oh, for them? Oh, that's rad. And I emailed it to them and they're like, Oh my god, we have all this music. So I'm oh. sure they've lost it since then. Yeah. But they were very excited at the Did time. you go in and like, you know, in like EQ it or remaster it or do anything like that, or did you just digitize it and send it to them? Yeah, say, just hey, digitize is- it and send yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I, I shudder, I shudder to think, cause I, you know, I've been making music a long time and, and I have these tapes that I don't know if I want to have <laughs> converted, you know? All right. So grew up with a drum set in the house. Your father sounds like was very, uh, influential and supportive of music. Yeah, for sure. And did you do like uh, high school band and that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. So I, uh, when I was in fifth grade, I started playing the upright bass. Hmm. And that's a cute story. Like they, I auditioned for the band and they wanted me to play trombone. I was hmm. like, I'm not doing that. Hmm. Um, and then I went into the orchestra and I wasn't interested in that, but they had these um, pictures of various types of hands. And they said, if you have short stubby fingers, you might make a good upright bass player. That kind of seems counterintuitive. Yeah, to I don't, me. I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> but that's what I feel like. You need exactly the opposite of that. So anyway, that's what the picture said. And I looked at my hands, and I was like a chubby kid, and I was like, "All right, you know, I can do that." <laughs> Upright bass, it is. <laughs> yeah, and my dad was super into it, and I yeah. still remember driving around on my mom's Saturn with the bass in the back sticking out the back window, uh-huh. and the head like hanging out, like having to be really careful not to bump into right. cars that were parked on the side of the street and stuff. So you're you're your high school band or your, or your grade school band had an upright mm-hmm. that, I mean, that in and of itself is kind of nice. Yeah, dude, the schools there were, were pretty supportive with music as far as that sort of thing goes. We didn't yeah. really want for anything like that. Yeah. And so, all right. So you move basically from drums to upright and what, mm-hmm. I mean, what was that transition like? So, all right. So you're doing like orchestra yeah. on upright. Yeah. I did that for a couple of years. And then when I was 13, my dad bought me an electric bass 
And that was like, well, this is what I'm going to do no the rest of my life. Like I quit playing baseball. I quit doing everything. Huh. You know, and I talk now about like, you know, everyone, kids are on TikTok and that sort of thing. But it's like, we didn't have any of that. You know, I just no. locked myself in a room yeah. and, t- and I learned all these 311 tunes and Chili Peppers tunes That's and Rage funny. Against the Machine tunes and all these Hell different, yeah. you know, all these very good bass players. Yeah. And so by the time I was like 14, 15, like I was playing some shit, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, I love those. I know it's so funny when you think about like early 311 or early Chili Peppers, like Blood Sugar Sex Magic still to me is maybe not a masterpiece, but an incredible record. We wore that motherfucker out. Yeah. You know? And 311, Grassroots was one. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that time, was one of my favorite records. Yeah. You know? It was a lot of fun. I, I lost them about the the purple is your color or whatever. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. A Teal is, a, I don't know, aqua blue yeah. is your color. I don't know. I was like, I don't know about 311 anymore. But yeah. those early records were great, and they grooved. And, you know, there was just nothing really like it. It, mm-hmm. was, it was kind of... I don't even know how to describe. Well, 311 is like, you know, had had like a DJ, right, or a rapper. So there was like kind of that hip hoppy thing. But but man, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that that record fucked me up in a great way. Yeah. So, graduate to the electric bass. Uh, this is high school, I'm assuming. Then this is junior high. Junior high, mm-hmm. and playing in garage bands and, and doing playing that garage whole thing. bands. Yeah, I mean, I started playing jazz. I had a jazz group when I was 15. It's called the Bigsby Five. I played upright and that. No shit. Yeah. So apart from the school, you put a jazz band together. Oh yeah. And and gigging. Yeah. No shit. Playing at coffee shops, that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Starting at 15. I mean, I was a senior in high school teaching at the local music store. Like I was in it. Yeah. I was young doing the stuff. And then I had a rock band in high school. Like it was, what was the name of this rock band? So the, the Bixby five was the jazz group. The rock band was called ignorance anonymous, Mm. which I still love. It's such a corny name, but I'm so (laughs) glad that we had it because now I get that story. So we called it IA, like it was AA or Uh something. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, and we had it, we fashioned the logo to look exactly like the AA okay. symbol and everything, yeah. and we thought we were hip. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, that's funny. Yeah, my high school rock band was called OPM, mm-hmm. but we would say Opium. Oh, like, right. Like, like we, like we even knew what the fuck that was. Right. <laughs> but the acronym stood for other people's music, and then we started to make our own shit, and then we made this tape. Anyway, I love early band names. Yeah. You're like, man, we are so fucking clever right now. Right. <laughs> I can't believe we came up with this. Yeah. And that no one else has, you know? Right. <laughs> so, all right. So music obviously is is very important at this time. You said you you, you kind of gave up sports and because yeah. you needed the time mm-hmm. to practice, to shed. Were you taking lessons? Like, how did you get to where you were kind of 
Yeah, I had, I had a few, I had a few lessons. I took electric bass lessons for a few months. Um, but like I say, man, it was mostly just playing along with records and locking myself in a room until I could do it. Did you have a favorite bass player at that time that it you was, were really trying to It was to Peanut from 311. Oh, nice. I mean, the thing about that band, first of all, <laughs> that was a very positive band and the nineties mm-hmm. were not mm-hmm. like everything was dark. Everything was heavy. It was gangster rap. It was Nirvana. It was, right. you know, it was just a dark time. Yeah. Um, and 311 was like, it was fun. Yeah. It was just fun tunes. And the bass player, when he joined the band he was like 13 oh he was like God. four years younger than everybody wow and i saw that and i was like well if he's doing like he dropped out of high school to go be in a rock band and i was wow. like well that sounds about right right you know? so i was definitely into that and weren't they like were they kc no where, where were they omaha omaha nebraska that's right mm-hmm. and that was another thing too i was like they're from a small midwest town right. you know like right so yeah there was a lot there for me i didn't really get away from 311 until fairly recently it was when i started playing guitar and singing more hmm. and i was like sweet i'm gonna try to sing all these 311 songs and then i started reading their lyrics like for real i was hmm. like oh well all right there's like actually a lot of really good shit out there <laughs> <laughs> i just don't really dig it that much anymore right, but right. i still go see them every time they're in town i mean i've seen them like 20 times no kidding. oh yeah I still see their shows. I, I bet it's a fun show, and I bet it's like a bit of a nostalgia tour. You know, it's definitely the nostalgia. I mean, I, I sit there and I watch this bass player, who you know, frankly, I don't think is as as good as I am anymore. <laughs> but there's something to be said about like the guy who's responsible for me doing what I do. Yeah, I have to yeah. watch him do that, and yeah, I try to get up on the front rail every time, right next to him. Like, yeah, all right, dude, that's awesome. I'm here again. You nice. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They just came to town, didn't they? Or they were in Flag. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Did you go up? Yeah, they were at that Pepsi amphitheater mm-hmm. up there. Have you been there? I haven't. Dude, I've heard that, a lot about it. That's the coolest situation because they, they don't like block off the back gate. So there'll oh. be like hundreds of townies that are just there hanging out behind the back fence just watching the show for free. Oh, nice. And they put, bring out coolers and chairs. Sure, and little hibachi grills. Yeah, Remember dude, that shit? You'd, you'd go, yeah. you know, you go to the big amphitheater, you get there like six hours early, you bring some burgers, <laughs> you grill, you're playing frisbee, you know, you're fucking yeah. off. Those are the fucking I days. don't know if they allow that stuff I don't, anymore, they can't, I can't imagine the, the, the liability alone. Like a bunch of drunk kids grilling burgers with, like, what did we do with the charcoal? I mean, it's not like it just immediately cooled off. Like, <laughs> there's fire hazards everywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> Frisbees, fun, hacky sacks getting thrown around. Mm-hmm. All right, so now you're now you're 20, and your mom is like, "Well, let's let's get to Arizona." Mm-hmm. Um, you had been studying though music in in Kansas City, yeah, and <clears throat> that program wasn't what you needed or wasn't yeah it wasn't a very big wasn't a very big school mm-hmm. you know there just wasn't wasn't really a lot going on and it was in lawrence kansas which is where ku mm-hmm. is and there just weren't, weren't really very many places to play mm-hmm. so we there was a few venues and we played at all of them mm-hmm. but you know there just kind of was treading water there mm-hmm. so and like i say out here there was a lot more a lot more to do so did you come out like in advance to just like your mom was like hey let's go check it out or was it like we're moving pack your shit and then let's figure well, out when she we get was there? definitely moving and so i came out and auditioned for the school just mm. to see mm-hmm. you know see if i'd get in and what was funny is that i didn't really know that that was a thing i didn't know that i couldn't get in i just mm-hmm. thought that that was something that you had to do a hoop that you jumped through i just thought you just showed up and enrolled mm. i didn't know that a lot of people do that and they say no <laughs> Oh, no shit. But I just showed up and played, and they're like, yeah, that's fine. And what I've heard about the program at ASU, and I'm not sure. So what year was this, like, roughly? This would have been 03. 
oh shit okay mm-hmm. so you know talking to some of the ogs in town the early asu music program you know it's basically you're going there to either become a teacher or work in an orchestra mm-hmm. but i bet by 2003 they had their jazz program together they they kind of had ex- they had expanded their offering mm-hmm. is that what you experienced I mean, it's it's classical and jazz, mm-hmm. and it's pretty much that still. Mm-hmm. Um, at the downtown campus, they've got some what they call contemporary music that's happening. Yeah, um, I think that's just now getting off the ground. I think they're mostly in the please come and roll stage. They're gotcha. not really at the point where they can turn people away. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't know that much about it. You know, Garrison, the piano player. Yeah, yeah. He he does a he does a he works down there, and from what he says, you know, he he's talking about production. He's talking about beats and mm-hmm. looping and kind of. Yeah, contemporary. Like, how would a kid today start to make music? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I think they are expanding. But in 2003, you had, you know, a, a couple options. And you decided to go the jazz route, I'm assuming? or Well, so it's kind of, it, it's really the two routes are performance or education. And mm-hmm. then within performance, oh, gotcha. you choose which one of those two paths you want to do. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because that's not really what, people listen to like either of those like that's not no. really on people's radar no. um i mean it's great stuff like don't get me wrong stravinsky's f- fantastic miles davis is fantastic right but that's just not what most people know and so it's odd that that's that's what music is because that's right it's fairly unique to the united states like you go to a lot of different places and that's not what music education is they're, right they're playing right. the stuff that you hear on the radio right yeah, I, I, I mean, why? Why? There, there's so much great talent here, and it doesn't take long to realize, even from an outsider, a non-musical person's uh, perspective, you know, the, the opportunity to hear good jazz or to hear an orchestra play, way fewer opportunities, right? I mean, you could go to the corner bar and hear something different, right? Mm-hmm. But but in order to hear jazz, you have to go to the Nash. You got to go to Ravenscroft and maybe the Mim. So, like, why? I mean, I love that music too. Mm-hmm. But why? Why is it still the bedrock of a formal musical education? Um, you know, it just education moves slowly, slowly man. I mean, yeah. especially at the university level. I mean, if you're tenured and you're doing right. the thing that you want to do, are you in a hurry to tell everyone you shouldn't have your job anymore? Or right. do you just want to keep doing that thing? And But I, then, but then the onus is on the university to, to, to understand, listen, man, we're, we're, we're teaching some kind of outdated shit, right? Let's, let's contemporize this a little bit, you know? You know, man, and I, I think that there's definitely some profs that are doing that. Like mm-hmm. even when I was they're doing grad school. I finished my grad degree in 2015. Um, there were some profs there that were preaching that, and a lot of the teachers that are coming out went through that sort of mm. thing with some of these professors and have that mentality. But then it's like they graduate and immediately go back into the same routine of we're going to do one of these three ensembles. And it's been it's been a weird thing, even as a guitar teacher, like a lot of the guitar programs that you'll see in, in the Valley, and there's a lot of them, mm. But they're run like classical orchestras, bro. Like, mm. I remember the first time I went to one of these guitar festivals, it was like 40 classical guitars, and they're playing this Bach piece all together in like three part, like this group's doing part A, this group's mm. doing part B. And then I was supposed to critique that, and I was not expecting that at all. Mm. Like, I thought I was gonna see some solo guitar players, and I was gonna be like, all right, put your hand here, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. And then it turned out it was like an orchestra festival. Hmm. And I had no idea what to say to these kids because I'm like, why would you do this? 
Like yeah. no one is listening to this. No one has this CD. No one <laughs> is listening to this on Spotify. Like right. I don't get this sort of thing at all. Um, so yeah, man, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's maybe just for, I don't think it's a, a lack of good intention or anything like that. Cause I, I believe that, you know, 90%, if not more of the teachers that are out there are truly doing the things that they think are important and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but very few of them play, mm-hmm. you know, like that's how you and I know each other. You and I know each other from the bars, from the clubs, from playing mm-hmm. popular music. Right. And I think if more had gigs, maybe they would say, Hey, you know, these are the gigs that I have. And mm-hmm. maybe you should check some of this stuff out. Right. Reading music might not be as important <clears throat> as doing this and that. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and the other thing too, bro, is it's important to remember that almost every kid that's there taking a music class isn't going to do that Hmm. and we tend to forget Hmm. that you know like you're just there to get your credit or you're there to you know maybe be able to play happy birthday to your kids or something like that that would be cool but we treat it like everyone's going to be in the new york philharmonic and that's just not right that's not realistic so you're saying within not within the music major but just within the, the music program kind of in general a large percentage of those people have to take this elective like that's is that what you mean or uh no like what i mean like for instance like i teach just a guitar class at a high school Mm -hmm. and kids have to take just a credit of fine arts just like they have to take a credit of pe or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. and they just kind of get stuck into whatever Mm -hmm. class um and that's you know that's Mm -hmm. fine right that should be fine right um but there's there's a push to if you didn't choose an instrument by fifth grade then there's not really an entry for I got you later okay. on and we just we have these sort of ensembles and the the things that are not that tend to be the exception rather than the rule mm. um, and like I say man I mean the, the, I was just at the symphony you know two weeks ago like I still dig that sort of stuff I still dig you know jazz and everything but I don't really dig the big band mm-hmm. you know I don't mm-hmm. dig like 40 swing like, right. that's not what I listen to when I'm listening to jazz right and that's you know what's happening in the schools so yeah that's a good point that's a good point i remember I, w- I was a drummer i was a jazz drummer in high school and a lot of it was that big band shit that 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 you know that mm-hmm. i don't know cap calloway but you know like that kind of era sure and that <clears throat> that didn't really speak to me i enjoyed the process mm-hmm. you know and i enjoyed all that the camaraderie and it but just not the music so much but but you know uh, and you enjoy the group, right? You enjoy being a part of something. Uh, uh, yeah, part of an ensemble. You enjoy but, being good yeah. at something, right? You know, and right. as much as like I did that too. I was in marching band. Mm-hmm. I was in concert band. I mean, I did all that stuff too, man. So, what did you play in marching band? Electric bass. So you were in the pit. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. But it was dope, man, because I was the only electric bass player that anyone had ever hmm. seen, and there was like you know some parent who pushed the amplifier around. Of course, it was a giant right rock and roll bass amp because we didn't have the tiny amps like today. Right, know? right. It's like a big PV. Oh, it was something. enormous. Yeah, it was an enormous <laughs> like hundred pound PV amp or something. Right. And then it had this this like, even heavier steel cart that some dad had made. <laughs> you know, at some point, donated some to the program. Some resourceful father was like, you know what? We're going to put this motherfucker on a yeah. cast iron. <laughs> so, all right. So you finished the program at ASU yeah. and, and you decide to go the education route. Mm-hmm. And what did that look like? Like, what was the, what was the, the thing that convinced you to do that? Because you had already been performing for such a, for a number of years. Yeah. 
and saw what that life was like. Yeah. And now you are presented with an opportunity or a decision. And, and what made you decide to do the education thing? So I never, first of all, I mean, I never gave up the performing. Like I say, that's how you and I met. I mean, I've always, right. it's always been my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't so much about wanting to be a teacher. It's just that if I'm going to get a college degree, hmm. I don't want to go get a piece of paper that doesn't. That says that you perform. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, like, what's right. the point, you know? Yeah. Right. Like, uh, uh, like Shay, Shay Marshall, right. you know. Yeah. Remember, I've, heard, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, like I remember once he said, you know, education is, is always free. It's the credentials that are expensive. Right. And I remember like I'd already graduated at this point, but I was like, yeah, dude, that's, that's exactly right. Like you don't need to go to college to play pop music. Like you don't have to do that. But if you want to be a public school teacher, you do need this sort of credential. If you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a pilot, like if you want to go do these things, you have to have these certain credentials in order to go do that. And so that's what you should go pay for. Uh But if you're just trying to you know, be an artist or be a cook or, you know, be a chef or something like right. this, like just go do that. Go lock yourself in a room <laughs> until you can do that. Right. You know, like right. I don't major in jazz, like fly to New York and pay someone 500 bucks a week and right. shed 12 hours a day. Right. You know, like just right. go do that. So that was the thing is like, I'm going to be in college. I'm the first member of my family to go to college. Oh, wow. So if I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to get something that might be beneficial. Might You know, might be a fallback later on. Yeah. And, it's a pretty uh, logical way to approach things yeah. in, a, in a world where logic doesn't necessarily play so much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds like you had, you had a vision and had a pretty clear idea. And yeah. I mean, first of all, who decides music? It's not, it's not like a gimme, right? There's a lot of hard work and blah, 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 and, and talent and, and, and you have to be resourceful and you have to be driven and you, you know, all of these things that, as you say, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, but to look at it like that and say, well, listen, if I'm paying all this fucking money to get a piece of paper, I might as well have a piece of paper that can get me some, get me further than, you know, without it. Some sort of ROI. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, you finish up ASU, graduate Mm -hmm. and now what? So then, so this is 2005. Then it was uh, a six. This was 2000. Yeah, around then. Yeah. And um, anyway, as part of the degree, there was student teaching and whatnot, and they had this uh, one class where it was a mock interview, where they had some people from various school districts that came out and they were doing mock interviews, but they were really short on teachers at the time, and they still are. But they were really short on teachers. And it turns out the mock interview was not not a mock, mock at all. Like they were there, like <laughs> they no, were seriously. legit looking for teachers. Yeah. Like if you want this job, like on Friday, like you wow. can come show up and just have this job. Oh my god! And I was like, it pays how much? I was like, thirty four thousand dollars. I've never even heard of that much money. Right. Like that sounds amazing. You yeah. know, because this yeah, is yeah, like yeah. I was performing, but it was like, dude, if I could make a thousand dollars a month, I was right. like, that's sweet. My bills are paid. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I wanted at the time. Yep. And so for them to say, like, yeah, you're going to have health insurance, you're going to, you know, be able to do that sort of thing. I was like, you're All done right. at three or whatever, right. you're eight to three, you got yeah. your summers off, we got breaks here, got some health insurance, there's some nice little, <clears throat> nice little kickbacks to being a teacher. Yeah. And this was uh, an elementary school job. So this was kindergarten, first and second grade. Wow. And I was not prepared for that at all, dude. Like I was, stu- I was like student teaching with orchestras and whatnot at high schools. And I remember showing up on the very first day. 8:30 in the morning this kindergarten teacher rolls in with these little kids five-year-old kids and they're all standing there they got their hands behind their back big bubble <laughs> in their mouth you know and they're all looking up at me and they're so tiny and then they all walk in the room and the teacher says okay bye i was like what the fuck do you mean bye 
who are these motherfuckers? <laughs> <laughs> so Where are the kids? Where are the students? Yeah. It was like 25 <laughs> little kids. And they're sitting there. And dude, my very first class, I'll never forget, this little kid was rolling around on the carpet. Everyone was like, you know those little carpets they have that are yeah. multicolored and you have yeah. to sit in your own square, right. you know? Crisscross applesauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this little kid's rolling around on the floor. And I was like, hey, buddy, I need you to sit up in your square. So he's like, okay. So he sits up, crisscross applesauce, hands on lap, bubbles in mouth. Perfect. Then like five seconds later, he's rolling around on the floor again. So I was like trying to do, and I was like, hey, buddy, I just, you know, right. sit up, please. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. You know, wanted to please me so much. And then like 10 seconds later, he's rolling around on the floor. And by now I'm like, hey, hello. Yeah. I was like, dude, I, I told you I need you to sit up. And then it's, it's so funny. I'll never forget it. He looks at me and goes, I did. <laughs> that time is over. I'm fucking on. I did what you wanted. You didn't say for how long. Let's be exactly. specific. Exactly. And that's, that's what I funny. knew. I was like, I don't know. You're in for it. I don't know if I can do this. And so, I, like, I mean, obviously, uh, writing a, a lesson plan or a curriculum for that age is going to be drastically different for, for high school kids. But, yeah. like, what was that first year like then? I mean, t where do you even start? Uh, I mean, it's mostly just, you know, survival, just keep them happy, that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, for this first, it takes a few years to really get the hang of it. Kindergarten. Fuck. Yeah, dude. It's That's young. That's wild. Yeah. So you're like, clap, clap with me. Like, I mean, how basic can you go? Yeah. I mean, you've got a few drums, you, you know, sing a lot. Um, and, but even within that half hour time, like they can really get off tracks you have to segment it like now let's do this now let's do oh this oh my god you have to segment it a lot yeah it 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 kind of sounds terrifying to me <laughs> you know and to have the you know basically like the whole day of that right i mean all day yeah kindergarten first and second grade i mean mm -hmm. and then i would go out and i would play with the sugar thieves at night i want to talk to you about that because my todd shuba was over here earlier today oh cool and um, I was like, what do you know about Ray? I don't know much because you're a ghost on social media, bro. You don't, do you even have Facebook or Instagram? I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't have any social media at all. I was like, good for him. Uh, but I was like, what do you know about? You know, I know, I, I think I met you through Miggy and, and anyway, he's like, oh yeah, he's like an OG sugar thief, you know? And I was like, no shit. Uh, so, so how did you get connected with them? Through Shay. Okay. They were doing, it was called the Michael Lander and Meredith Moore band yeah, at yeah, the time. Yeah. So what, at the sail in like that, that era? Even before then. Um, so they were doing the um, blues competition to the Phoenix Blues Society. Yeah. And Mikey had done it before just solo, but now he wanted to do it with a band. And they didn't have a bass player. I think their bass player quit or for whatever reason they didn't have a bass player. Yeah. And they really wanted an upright. I guess their last player played electric. And Shay was like, well, I know an upright player who you know, would do well. And so I showed up, played, and they're like, yeah, fine. And I thought I was just going to do this one show to be able to do this competition with them. Right. So we did a couple <clears throat> warm-up gigs, went well. Um, we ended up winning the, the competition. What, what, what year was this then? Six, seven, eight, somewhere so around there? Oh, seven would have been, 2007, I think. Mm -hmm. And then um, went to Memphis, played mm -hmm. in um, a big competition there. It was like 100 bands. And the way they do it there, there's 10 venues, 10 bands per venue, and there's a winner of the venue, and the top 10 go to play at the Orpheum. Cool. Well, we ended up winning the venue and went to play at the Orpheum. I was playing for like, you know, 2,000 people. Like, I just never had experienced anything like this, mm -hmm. you know, playing like original <clears throat> shit. And I was like, well, this is all right, right you know. Right. And I get used to this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then on the way back. Um, you drove out. 
we drove out in the van. Damn. Yeah. And then on the way back, um, they had mentioned, you know, we were talking about a band name, and they had mentioned that the Sugar Thieves was something that had been thrown around with, like, I don't know, that's corny. And I was like, no, that's dope. We should keep that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's great. Let's go by that. Mm-hmm. And so I certainly didn't come up with the name, but I'll definitely take credit for being the catalyst of being mm-hmm. like, no, we should just go <clears throat> with this name. Yeah. And uh, others might remember that differently. But that's okay. That's, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> They're not here. Yeah. They're not here. But no, that's when we got back, and then the old sail in which I'd miss so much. That was such a cool bar. Um, and Gina, yeah. But, uh, anyway, so we got back and Gina wanted us there every Monday. And so, yeah, bro, we were playing nine until 1.00 AM on Wednesday. Holy shit. And then I was waking up at 6.00 AM to go to work (sighs) on Thursday morning. And bro, it was so funny. Cause not funny, funny is the wrong word, but it was just, I remember being on stage in like one of the coolest bands in Phoenix at the time. Yeah. Hell yeah. And like bitching about having to play past when we were supposed to be playing because I had to get up and go to work in the morning. It was just such a weird dichotomy mm-hmm. that I had because it was like, here I am, I could be doing this one thing, um, but I have to go do this other thing because I have this contract or whatever. It's tough, man. Yeah, man, it is. Making that transition from, you know, holding down a job to working at night that transition when it when when you flip and you, and you lose the day gig or even the even that moment where you're trying to do both and you're trying to do both at a high level those two things are so hard to again reconcile i'm using this word like it's my the fucking subtext of this podcast but taking that world that life that that up at 6 work till 2 that that's a whole thing and people have made careers out of it and 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 now you're trying to do two opposite things and it's it's exhausting uh and and it's hard to do either of them at a very high level and be fully invested yeah you know yeah yeah go ahead well i was just gonna say i mean it it helps that neither of them pay very well so you kind of you kind of have to do both right 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 (laughs) right you don't really have a choice yeah (laughs) 2007. All right. So, I mean, that's, that's a, a big moment in, in my life when the, the, the huge recession and, uh, I was working part time. I was a, a, a server at a restaurant downtown and I go into work on a Friday. I was doing part time, you know, with my old band, $10 outfit working at night, you know, three nights a week, maybe. And then serving in the, on the off time and, and doing brunch. And that was a terrible idea. I hate, I hate, people and i hate <laughs> being up early and, and, and fuck you and your breakfast you know anyway. yeah and uh, i go into work on friday and i think it was 2007 and the restaurant had closed and i was like uh okay i guess i'm not w- working today and uh i said you know you're at this crossroad where i could go get another server job maybe because everything was taking a huge shit or i could just hustle and find a couple more gigs and make that same income but it got real dicey, man. It's not, you know, it, it arguably may possibly one of the worst recessions we will experience in our lifetime in one of the hardest hit areas because of X, Y, and Z uh, to decide to, to say, oh, no, I'm going all in on music. At this time when music, no one gave a shit about music, restaurants were closing. That was where I was making all my money. It was dumb, but I was young and dumb. So it was a pretty easy decision. Yeah. You know, 
So I can see you in this in this scenario where it's like, well, I got this, I got this, I got my day gig, man, and it and it keeps the lights on and and fuck, you know, you weren't maybe working enough to make the same bread. Uh, and 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 sugar thieves are such an incredible uh, combination of players and music and and you know I looked up to them at, at still um, for what they do and there's and the, you know you talk about the Memphis thing I think they just did it again I'm just like they're still at it yeah I mean that's fucking dedication on yeah. some level that like it's kind of heavy man well I mean the sound really is Michael Lander I mean Michael Lander's he's he's his own thing yeah uh, i mean just nobody sounds like that no you know we would do i mean the band worked all the time and it was like if if creamy couldn't make it we could get a different drummer if i couldn't make it they could find a different bass player if shay didn't make it it's like oh well, fuck, we're missing shay that's kind right. of an issue well shay plays a thousand right. things it was like yeah it was much more of an issue if shay couldn't be there <laughs> but we had to figure it out because right. shay was often not there because right. shay plays with everybody right um but if michael lander couldn't do it then the band just couldn't play because that's the sound is just completely gone. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that guitar sound. It's that voice. Like yeah. you just, we couldn't do it. It just became a different thing. Right. I don't even know if we ever attempted it. Like it would just, it would just wouldn't be the thing. No, it's you not know, the thing. It would be the Meredith Moore show or whatever, which I'm sure would be great, but it's just, you're right. He, he is such a unique artist and character, uh, and persona, you know, um, so how long did you work with them? Wasn't even that long, man. It was maybe about two years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and then after the second time we get back from Memphis, um, Kevin Tagney was on that trip. Mm. And, uh, you know, the trip went well. It was a, it, we made it a tour mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. And that was still like one of the funnest, like most fun two weeks oh, yeah. of my life is being out you know, sleeping all curled up on a chair in that van, you know, like it was just awful. Like everything about it was just terrible, but I loved it. You yeah, know? yeah. Those uh, early tours, there's a charm, man. Oh, it's great. And and you look back and like, fuck, I slept in the doorway of a, you know, like, how did we get through that and not break our back? I mean, it's just right. grueling. And, and, and the driving bit, man, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't have the, um, uh, I didn't have the patience that I have now. I think there was a sense of entitlement hmm. on that on that trip. I didn't. I I wanted it to be more of a more of a unit, like we're a band, like the Chili mm -hmm. Peppers or something mm -hmm. like that. And I didn't recognize that it's it's Mike and and Meredith, and it's those two that people were showing up to see. I didn't really embrace the hmm. full sideman role, which is hmm. odd because that's all I ever wanted to be. Hmm. But the band was making a lot of noise, and I got used to people clapping for me and stuff. And I just kind of, you know, I think I got used to that, and I wanted to be more. I think I wanted to be a little bit more of a star at that hmm. point. Hmm. And if I had been a little more patient and, um, like, who's the, I think it's The Rock, who's like, know your role and shut the fuck up or whatever. <laughs> you know, if I had embraced that a little bit more, um, who knows, man? You know, but, um, yeah. you know, we're all still very good friends. We good. have kids around the same age. Yeah. They go to the same school. Like my oh, daughter cool. goes over to their house on Fridays. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, dude, it's great. You know, we're still very good friends and everything. And um, so at least at least we have that. This is an interesting thing that, that oddly enough, hasn't really been touched on on the podcast. And that's the role of a sideman mm. and how that differs from. As you say, being I'm in this, this is my band. We're all in this motherfucker together. Mm -hmm. But 
the sideman approach is a little different. And I wonder if, I mean, is there even anything there to talk about other than they are two separate things. So the sideman is kind of a hired gun. If you can't make it, we'll find another sideman to fill the role. But, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but putting a band together is very hard. Mm-hmm. You can, listen, I have a gig on Friday. You can put some cast together. That's easy. Mm-hmm. But to have everyone on the same level, the same level of commitment, the same dedication, the same, we're going to make this fucker work regardless finding four or five of those people who believe in the product, your product is very hard. Yeah. And you know, as a side man, you're allowed then as a hired gun to go out and do a thousand different things. And, and you, I mean, I don't know, you speak to it. I, I'm not a side man. No one hires me to do shit. Yeah. I have to go out and get the gig and I hire the, you know, but is there, is there something there? Like when, when did it, when were you like, Oh fuck, I, I'm a side man and that's cool because I could do all these other things too. And I love this band. I love the product, but I can't, I can't give that. I can't give you that amount of time, energy, you know, was there a moment where that kind of came into focus for you? Well, I think just the nature of my instrument early on mm. was, mm. it was always kind of that because you're, you're inherently mm. in a supportive role and especially mm. as someone who didn't want, to sing like hmm. early on, like until my thirties, I didn't really want to sing. That was really when, until I started leading at churches. That was really what forced me to sing. Cause hmm. I, I just had to. So you had a church gig as well. I've been music director at three different churches. No shit. I just played at a church last weekend. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Peeling sure. peel the layers. Yeah, man. You're, you're a goddamn musical onion. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as a side man, it's, it, it's a different job. Yeah. Um, like I, I remember I saw uh, a video of uh, Draymond Green, the basketball player, in a practice, and he said it's like one, maybe two dudes on any team who get to do whatever they want. Huh. Everyone else, if you want to make it in this league, you need to find a role to yeah. play, and you need to support those dudes. You yeah. need to recognize right away, this is Steph Curry's team, right. and I'm here to support Steph Curry, and if you're not going to support Steph Curry, who's making $200 million in like three years or whatever the hell, yeah. Then you need to, we're going to find someone who will, right. you know, and you learn that very quickly. Um, and that's just kind of the, the nature of it. Now, what's nice about all of that, like you mentioned the recession, dude, I, I'm a bass player. I didn't notice anything hmm. like hmm. Every, everyone still, everyone who was playing still needed a good bass player. Hmm. And it's not even so much, and you could put, speak to this better than I, but you don't need the best bass player in town. You know, you need someone who's going to do the homework. You need someone who's going to make your vision come to life it's not I'm, I'm not there to play a bunch of notes and show how good the bass player is i'm there to make brian sound really good and if nobody like my favorite drummer like you mentioned todd todd's one of my very favorite drummers yeah. ever because todd will play an hour and i didn't notice the drums at all right i just noticed that that song sounded perfect right you know and like the best bass players are that are that way too um and so it's just a different it's a different way to approach it. And it's a lot more, I don't want to say it's more work. Cause when I do solo singing, guitar playing, that sort of thing, that's plenty of work too. Yeah. But it's work I would want to do. Uh-huh. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to play this song by David Bowie cause I want to. So you do not only a side man, 
a kind of bass player, but you also do kind of singer songwritery, you know, acoustic guitar and vocal. Yeah, I mean, I'm always holding myself to the standards of, of guys who who do that full time professionally. So I don't, I don't, I try not to talk about it all that much. You know, <laughs> like when I access music at the highest level, it's it's with my electric bass, and I'm yeah. playing as a bass player in mm-hmm. someone else's group. Do you think? Do you approach music differently as a sideman than you would if you were, say, a full-time member of this band? Like, does the music change or does your, what's the word, Chartrand, Um, maybe not approach, but, but, um, you know, does, when you realize, all right, I'm in this band, do you allow yourself more of a musical expression versus... I am hired for this gig. I'm going to do some homework. I'm going to come prepared. I'm going to have my charts. I understand your thing. I'm going to support your thing. Do you come at it with a different mentality? Uh, I, I, no, I don't think so. Just mm. because I think ultimately you're, the goal is the same. The goal is mm. still to create a, a great song. Mm. And if that's it's the Ray Teary project or if it's, you know, Sugar Thieves or Brian Trent, you know, Chartrand or whatever, um, I'm still trying to be a part of creating this product. And if it's just me playing, like not playing at all, like maybe it doesn't even need a bass for the song to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like drummers go through that all the time. Like sometimes the song just doesn't need percussion, just mm-hmm. sit out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has to be fine because ultimately like we're, we're in a contract with the people who showed up to see hmm. that show. Um, hmm. It's it, it's a, an interesting relationship now because so many people access music on their own through headphones and they use it as a way to tune out from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that you know just whatever you're doing, staring at your screen, is the same sort of thing. Like you're you're being social, but you're being antisocial at the same time by doing that. When you're playing live and it's a loud room and you're putting you're moving air in that room it's inherently social, mm-hmm. you know, there's no getting around it. And it's a social contract that we all have. Like you are here to relax, have a good time. You're, you're here to hear what we're doing. And if you look up and the drummer's playing too many notes, playing too loud, the bass player is playing a whole bunch of notes and it takes away from the song. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter if I wrote the song or if I'm just there being paid or if I'm doing it for free or whatever, mm-hmm. like it's, we're, we're all there for the same, for the same goal. Mm-hmm. Like the band that I've been in for the longest is uh, Big Bang Theory, <clears throat> which Kevin Tegney is in, Gannon Burley, you probably know Gannon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Marvin Scott on the piano. I don't know Marvin, though. You don't know Marvin? No, Marvin doesn't Marvin doesn't play nearly as much as, as everybody else, but Marvin's still great. Marvin is the um, uh, academic director at Rosie's House. You hip to Rosie's House? Mm-mm. Rosie's House is cool. Um, it's a great organization for kids a nonprofit. kids take free music lessons after school for like cool. you know kids who are at a certain income level it's a great great program hmm. been around for a long time uh, but anyway we used to do that band man we used to do first fridays over at modified arts and i did that game for like nine years that was every first friday for kimber when mm-hmm. she was still yeah. doing shows at modified yeah and bro i remember skipping sugar thief shows because i was like no i'm going to do the big bang theory thing and it was 100 percent Improvise, and when I say one hundred percent, I mean there was no conversation about what key we're about to be in. No, oh my God. just somebody start making noise, and we'll all catch up. There was no rehearsal. Did are, is any of this recorded? There's 
not really like we tried to do a second iteration of it later on like only about five or six years ago where we had like some songs that we tried to lay down but it was not really true to what it what it should have been i mean it was just sort of like a background type like almost like if you were being like a house dj for something like that yeah but we were a live band and you know it was gannon burley on the drums, right. so you know it was sick yeah and um, i would play these these you know hip-hop bass lines and kevin and marvin would do these like soundscapes Whoa. with the trumpet and the saxophone or the piano or cool. something like that and we would get to where we would build up the crowd and build it up and build it up and build it up. and then once like modify was packed we would just stop and then everyone would be like oh art great <laughs> they'd come too yeah oh there's art on the wall check it out yeah and I, re- I, re- I love those early first friday yeah you know 20 years ago it was such a it was like you know you you jam a bunch of beers in your backpack and just start walking around and and it just would meander and you'd, you'd find yourself in this little historic home and you know it's a quote-unquote gallery and you're like oh, okay cool and you're walking around and you're checking shit out and and then there's a band on the corner it's doing some cool shit um those are good times those were good times. And Grand Avenue was like the fucking Wild West, bro. It got real dicey at times. And then, and then you'd stumble into something like fucking super cool. Remember the Paper Heart? Yeah. I mean, th- th- there was just these little pockets of, of you're like, holy shit, like, where am I? You know, I don't know. A, that's awesome. But I love Kimber. She's awesome. And Modified was such a thing. And, you know, I remember coming in and I'm like, man, I wish I could just play Modified once, you know. I never did. I think I did. I don't know. Um, but yeah, to wrap, to, just to wrap up yeah, your yeah. question, um, as far as approaching like bass playing or just being a sideman in general, um, I think if it's your project or if it's someone else's project or whatever it is, I mean, unless you're someone like Thundercat or right. something, like you're probably doing it wrong. I mean, right. bass is bass, drums are drums, piano. Like just Interesting. fill that role and yeah, you know, know your role and shut the fuck up. <laughs> I do love that though. Yeah. Let's uh let's take a short uh little break I and then we'll uh we'll finish her up. Sounds good. Hey there, I am Boomer. And I'm Pixie Ola. Our podcast, Service Entrance People, is for and about the gritty, underpaid, underprivileged service industry workers of the world. Unite! Day in and day out, we walk through the parking lot of broken dreams. So if you're interested in listening and sharing in the war stories of the, the industry, and if you're curious as to what us, the help, are really thinking, we are going to educate you with stories of the strange, shocking, and hilarious, because Laughing is the only way that we can think to even try to get our ways through each day. <laughs> this industry is one that we absolutely, truly love. And although you'll hear horror stories and rants and bitching that we have to work at work because that's the kind of petty betty that we are, we kid because we care. You can find Service Entrance People on all major platforms as well as YouTube and would like to say thank you for tuning into my friend Brian Chartrand and the So The Story Goes podcast. I've known him for longer than he or I would admit. And yes, he is that cool in real life. Let's catch people up. <laughs> uh, We've been talking for nine hours. Yeah, it's now <laughs> next Friday, and uh, well, you know, we 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 we've been chatting about the the whole sideman approach and how, you know, on a level, I'm I'm envious uh, of someone who can pr- prepare for a gig or or be given some sheet music. Uh, and come in and do the thing and and you know Shay and you and, and many other people are you, anomalies in my mind um, 
because I don't do that. I can't do that. I've just, I've, I've been doing what I do and I, and I don't know how to explain it. Luckily I've, I, I know people who know how to articulate what it is that I do and can share what I do because I don't, I'm like, I think it's an E and they're like, actually, no, bro, this song is an A. So you're <laughs> fucked. <clears throat> but let's, let's talk about it because I'm still fascinated by it. And, and it is, I mean, we have plenty of friends who make their living as sidemen and, and, you know, and you do a church gig and you can go play with Miggy and you can do this other thing. And, and so you can, you know, you're flexible. Mm-hmm. I'm not flexible, mm-hmm. you know? So what do, what do I do? What do I have to do? Do I have yeah. to go learn theory? I don't know any theory. No. Um, I, I, again, like I was talking about the basketball analogy, like, if you're the guy on the team, you you don't have to do anything. Just keep doing your thing, and we so, will hire people to support what you are doing. So am I the Steph Curry in this? Yeah. Yeah, baby, I like that. And I'm the Draymond Green. I love it. Yeah, which is why you make more. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be the Larry Bird, though? That's, you know, I'm a... Be I'm whoever a, you want. I'm a Massachusetts kid. Yeah, so, f- yeah, yeah insert whoever. All yeah, right. for sure. Insert Larry Bird. Um What's next for you, man? Like what, I mean, so you're, you're teaching, but this is your final, final year of teaching. Teaching. Yeah. How does it feel? Um, you know, bittersweet, the, Mm. the COVID shutdown really changed the bar Mm. for where students are in general. Mm. Um, I think just people in general, like everyone just kind of got used to not really doing a whole lot and adults Hmm. had an easy way of not not getting back to routine necessarily but just like resetting okay i I don't want to do that anymore now i'm gonna Hmm. do this and Hmm. i'm gonna still put the same sort of effort that i was into this sort of thing now Hmm. like i assume for you you're still kind of similar to what you were doing 10 years ago the same sort of effort that you're putting into gigs you're not like half-assing it like you're still no, of course. I mean, I, I, but here's the thing. I, I don't have anything else. Right. This is it. Right. So if I can't do this, I, I, we have an issue. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we, let, maybe we can wrap about this for a moment. Um, but, but that period of time, the pandemic, uh, 2020, March, 2020 until maybe last year when things got kind of back to normal. Mm-hmm. It was dark, man. Yeah. And I and I realized in that process that that I was so my sense of uh my sense of self, my uh, sense of self-worth uh was gone. Mm-hmm. And and I couldn't even do I couldn't do the one thing that I th- thought or I think I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And it was it was pretty brutal, you know. And and part of the reason why I started this podcast was uh, therapy. I needed to talk with people about how they got over it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and give me some tools to stay creative and to stay relevant and, and, and to feel like why I'm here on earth has value, you know, and that's, those are some, you know, you know, it was dark, uh, but we're out of it or, or for the most part. And and bands are, yeah. are 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 touring again, and 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 things kind of feel normal. But there is this like underlying thing, um, 
Yeah. Uh, f- fuck, I forgot where we started. Um, <laughs> uh, but all right, so finishing, uh, finishing teaching. You've been doing it. Would you say sixteen or eighteen years? This is my sixteenth year. Sixteenth year of teaching yeah. in public uh, public schools, public man. school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Title One public school. Well, always. And, and I gotta tell you, um, I have crazy respect uh, for teachers, especially in um, neighborhoods or or di- school districts that that are challenged. Let's say um, one of my one of my first jobs. Uh, when I when I moved here was with Teacher America, and so I was I I I was introduced to uh, these school districts and these young teachers that are are trying to figure it out. And and anyway, I I, I have a soft spot in my heart uh, for folks like you yeah. that that work in public school because that that is not an easy gig. Yeah. And can you do you shake it off like at this point in your career, sixteen years in? Can you shake it off and go home and 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 not carry any of that with you and and you wake up fresh the next day and and you know well I mean for me I can because that's never been what I consider my identity mm-hmm. like like if mm-hmm. I were playing bass for you and I had a bad night that would eat at me for a long time like I have plenty of bad days teaching and I get over it and it's fine the next day because I don't that's just not who mm-hmm. I consider myself to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like I've always wanted to be a musician, mm-hmm. right? So, but there are those there are those who consider themselves teachers at heart, mm-hmm. and for mm-hmm. them, yeah, man, that that stings, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's there's blood, sweat, and tears, literally, you know. When you talk about Teach for America, I, I think about that in the same light as like uh, like almost like military reserves, mm-hmm. like you were in the National Guard for a few right. years, did your time, whatever. And I would love it if more people thought about education like that like you don't have to go do it for 40 years right you know like like what if you what if we just treated it like that like you mm-hmm. could get a gi bill to go just right. work in the schools for four years go do your time go give back and then your 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 college is paid off yeah you know all your school loans are are forgiven yeah and this is your community service mm-hmm. they do that in they do that in germany where you 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 know it's civilians or you go into the army army for 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 two let's say and then and then uh civilians which is like uh, working in a retirement home or assisted living and that's a three-year thing it's a little cushier you know but i agree this is this is community development sure you know this is giving back you know yeah, I mean, what if what if that was the thing? You could go do this, and we've got you for four or six years or whatever. We're going to pay for your school, and then you do that full-time for a little while, and then for the next couple of years, four years, whatever it is, mm. now you have to go sub one right. week a month. Right. You know, you do these Be two weeks a year, that right. sort of thing. Like right. you, That's just what you do. I agree. Um, a thousand percent. That would be fine, you yeah. know, but this, it doesn't have to be your life. It doesn't have to be your identity necessarily. You can just go do your time, and then... Go do something else, you know? Yeah. Let's fucking propose it. Who do we talk to about this <laughs> shit? Who do I got to call? I mean, that's a whole, it's a Education whole thing. though, education. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like levels of, <laughs> levels of bullshit. It's like the first level is education. You know, they, they get a lot of shit. No, rarely does a state and, and I'm sorry, but, but Arizona, I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Arizona does not honor education 
uh, the same way, let's say other states do. Okay, fine. Now you go down the line and it's like, well, I'm teaching art in a public school. Jesus, like you're at the end of the fucking slope, homie. And all this shit yeah. flows down to you. And you're the first to go, just like music and art is the first to go in a recession. And I feel like the educational system is in a constant state of recession. It's like, <laughs> what are we doing? How are we not prioritizing education? It doesn't make any sense to me. So you're not, you're definitely not wrong in regards to Arizona. Um, what I, I do want to make sure that there's, uh, it needs to be said that when we think about when was the golden age of education, mm. was it a hundred years ago when only rich white boys could go to school? Right. Right. Was it 50 years ago when we removed the rich part? Was it, you know, right. 30 years ago when the principal still had the paddle on the wall? Like, right. when, like when was it right. that, that was like the best time? The best time to be in our public schools is right now. Like really? It, it could still be. Well, I mean, when was it? You know, no, like know. it's way more egalitarian now than yeah. it's ever been. Yeah. Um, now, before we tried to do the online school and you know, there was like our shows used to be better. Like things used to be better five years ago. I'm hmm. not like that. That is pre pandemic. Pre pandemic. It was definitely better, but still, man, I mean like there was never like a golden age, like not really. No, you're right. You know, they've always kind of been, you know, it's just kind of what it is. But the, um, as far as what can we do to make it better? It's important to realize like, what are the best? Like when you think of the best, school you think of like a harvard or an mit or like a fucking you know locally like brophy or mm -hmm. basis or something like this mm -hmm. the one thing they have in common like we don't know who their teachers are we don't know what their facilities are like but we know that they have it's impossible to get in hmm. right so the best schools have the best students like i don't know how good phil jackson is but i know he had michael jordan and kobe bryant and shaquille o'neal and scotty pippen like you know i feel like i could have coached the 98 bulls and we would they would have been just fine <laughs> That's right. That's a good analogy. You know, so like you yeah. could you could have put me at, right. at, at not yeah. point guard, but like even right. strong forward. Like put me <laughs> in that team. You know, like remove Horace Grant and insert Ray Terry, and I think we, they would have been just fine. Um, you would never have touched the basketball. No, and it would have been fine. <laughs> they would have been just we, we fine. Need a, we need a warm body. <laughs> to run around yeah. just run around that's all we need you to do yeah, yeah. we need to pass the uh, somebody's right. inbound the ball right just, just right. pass it exactly. to michael and get out of the way yeah so like yeah. the as far as the schools go i mean you could double you could triple quadruple the education budget that's not going to fix apathy you mm -hmm. know when you talk about fixing the public schools you got to fix the public first mm -hmm. and you give me first of all you give me a group of students who are going to be well fed, who, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. they're not dealing with parents yelling at each other at home, like that sort of thing. That's another thing that I learned through my experience with Teach for America. It's like, bro, we're not even talking about what happens in school. Mm -hmm. We're talking about what happens before school yeah. and after school. Yeah. And you're asking this young person to understand that and to prepare. How do you prepare for that? Mm -hmm. And how do you, like, how does your, not only the lesson planning and all that shit, it's you have to figure out a way to address these things that happen off the clock for you, you know? And I, yeah, I think you're right. It's a holistic approach. We need like a whole new fucking approach, especially in, in lower income uh, school districts. And, and anyway, I, fuck, I literally, I, 
I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated, but uh, but I'm very interested in in how do we repair this? How do we prepare these kids for life beyond grade school or high school or whatever? I mean, say best case scenario, they go to college and they and they do great and they get a great job and start a family and. But bro, we got to start way earlier than that. We got to start way earlier, and you know, and and, and again, I I just want to go back to that point. It's it's important to remember that there was never like a great right. a, a time age. where yeah. you know we had it all figured out, and we need right. to get back to that. We've never figured it out. But as far as everyone getting an education. Um, I mean, is it supposed to be a ticket to the middle class? Like, is this like now you do this and now that means you get to go do this? Like, like, dude, like I've heard you play. Like, I can't teach you to do what you do. And I'm a pretty forward thinking music teacher. Mm. And if you were in my class, like I could have given you the space. But I think most of most of the time what we need is just the gear and the facilities and the the freedom mm-hmm. to create and yeah. we we kind of suck the life out of that by saying okay well since we're now we're going to make it a credential now you have to do x y and z and mm-hmm. we have to prove to everyone that we're doing our job like i just i subbed a jazz history class at one of the community colleges i won't name names i subbed a jazz history class at one of the community colleges and bro it was like now here's this artist and now here's this video and now like what are the what's the instrumentation of this and whatever i'm like i don't i never did any of that like i took the pre-test and i knew the answers Mm -hmm. i got a 17 out of 20 Hmm. i remember Hmm. but it's just because i was listening to this shit like i wasn't you know i wasn't really quizzed on the stuff and i remember i was taking jazz history at asu and i was like all right i don't I don't care. Like I'm, I'm a bass player. I'm not. Right. I'm never gonna play the extensions. If I play the flat nine, right. no one's ever gonna hire me. Right. Because I was supposed to play the root. Right. And I just played a half step away, and now I'm fired. So right. I'm, I don't care about any of this. Huh. Um, so all the answers I just knew because I had I had heard it, and I was open with the kids. I was. I mean, kids are like 20 or whatever. <laughs> but I was like, you know, if I were king, I wouldn't have this curriculum where you have to sit down and memorize which instruments are in this stuff i would just put the records on and we would just listen and we would just play and lock ourselves in a room until we could do it well and and you bring up an interesting point and and one of the reasons why i came to the guitar was that no one told me how to play it yeah i took piano you know and i she tried to mrs bondy she tried to teach me she really did and I just it was not having it. And that's why I lasted like <laughs> two or three years. And I was like, Miss Bonnie, I love you. Your daughter is very attractive. <laughs> but I have to go now. I have to do whatever. No one told me how to play the drums. No one told me how to play. Like, I, I you know, so how do you give kids space and time and, the, as you say, freedom uh, just to explore it and to, and to come at an instrument in their own way, on their own time in their own time, um, that's not part of the educational system, and and we're we're seeing even sports go away and and art go away, and it's like let's teach the core, math and science. Fuck you! Like yeah. that's not me. Yeah, you know, and that's listen, that's what twenty percent of that population is going to go into science or math. Like, 
No, it's like not, what it's are we doing? Close to that, and it's, it's, it's certainly not close to that in music. I mean, there's not even jobs for. I mean, you're you're literally more likely to make an NBA team than you are to make a symphony orchestra. Yeah, like the numbers right. definitely back that up. Right, like you can't major in basketball, but if you're the best right. freshman basketball player, you will be in the NBA next year. Right, if you're the best freshman violinist, okay, keep going. Right, right, like you can get a grad, go to grad school, and probably still not make a symphony orchestra for the next 10 years or whatever. It's but as you say, fuck it. Well, I don't need the, I don't need the slip of paper to, no. to, to let you know that I'm great at this. Yeah. I mean, maybe for the orchestras, I don't know. I don't know what they're, what they're, but the, don't they do blind addition uh, auditions? So you just like, you go up behind some screen and play the shit and they're like, okay, you, I think, I think so. I think they do. And I think when they started doing that, I think they started hiring more women and more, mm-hmm. um, Asians, yeah, people of color. I mean, you know, yeah. not white dudes. How about that? Yeah, well, yeah, I don't see a lot of a lot of black and and brown folks. That's in also the symphony. I think it's mostly you know Euro Euro Americans and yeah. Asian Americans and sort of Westerns or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, um, but I mean, I, I I can't really speak too much to that. But the um, one thing I do want to mention, though, again, going back to there was no golden age, as far as arts is concerned nobody spends more money than the united states mm. like we have i mean the the auditoriums you can find in just a whatever high school are world yeah. class dude yeah. like you you're not going to find that shit in anywhere in europe anywhere in africa certainly anywhere in south america certainly right. um you know like i think yeah. we're probably spending the money poorly right uh, maybe not. I, I've got a lot of got a lot of friends who might hear this, so I don't want to I don't want to step on toes. But we could probably allocate the money differently. Yeah. But as far as how like the money that we're spending on athletics, the money that we're spending on performing arts, like there's not a country that's doing it way better than we are. Mm. Like you have some mm. of the um, Scandinavian countries who are producing phenomenal pop musicians. That's South funded Korea. by the government. By yeah, the way. yeah, for sure. I mean, those venues, those programs, that's a federally funded thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean there there are some examples, but I I, I don't think it's for a lack of trying. Yeah. Um and as far as cutting the programs, I mean, you got to put the kids somewhere. Right. You know, I mean, we still need childcare and that's something that COVID taught us is that mm-hmm. you know, as a parent and talking to, you know, my family members and friends who are also parents, it's like you could have sat them down and fed them popcorn and told them to watch Disney movies all day, I still would have sent them to school Mm. because I needed something to do with my kids so I could go to work. Right. Like when the school shut down, the economy shuts down. And even if you didn't teach them shit, like I I could have taught them to read by myself, but will you just please take my kid for eight hours? (laughs) Get them off my hands. I just need eight hours. Well, and that's what like, like they're in, if you add up the hours they're in class, it's like four hours, four and a half hours on a good day. Mm. Why are they, why are they there for eight hours? Well, it's because it's, it's the work day. Like we need that Right, right. Interesting. Right, 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 right. So that's why when there's summer vacation and spring break, everyone who doesn't have a teaching job is like, fuck. Right. What am I supposed to do now? Right. You know, I'm a mechanic. Like people's cars are still breaking down. I still have to go to work. There's still gigs to be played. Right. (laughs) Like what do I do? Right. Uh, what's, uh, what's this year look like for you? What, what, what can we uh, look forward to? So I'm, I'm doing total career change. I start flight school in June. Super cool. I'm going to go be a, um, pilot and then rack up hours and hopefully, hopefully go fly for the airlines, man. I've always wanted to do that. My grandfather was an air force pilot for many years and, um, you know, I've just always looked up 
to the sky. It's always been a cool thing to do. And, and, you know, along with the education thing, I've always been interested in work that I think is, is important and work that I think that society, society needs. And, you know, it's not very green, but it's not my fault. They don't have electric airplanes or whatever. It's coming. It's coming. (laughs) It's coming. You know, that's that's what I got people on the inside. They're telling me. Uh, and then for the most yeah. part, you know, I'll still be, I mean, I haven't sold all my gear. Like I'll be still yeah. around. I still want to, still want to, you know, teach some private students. I still have my adjunct gig at Phoenix college. Good. And, uh, you know, I still want to come out and play. So I'm well, still a musician at heart and, you'll, and, thing. and, and you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love your playing. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks so much uh, for sharing your story with me, and I and I hope, I hope that we can find a way to work together and and uh, sometime in the near future and 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 put something together and because you got this feel, homie. And you know, when I walked in, we I walked into Cock and Tails. You were playing with Miggy, um, and Ozuna. I was like, fuck, this is a trio. This is a trio, homie. Hmm. So you guys sounded great. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And if you haven't heard Brian's original music or his show, definitely check it out. Make sure this isn't your only experience with Brian Chartrand. He's the man. Oh, come on. Let's end it right there. (laughs) (laughs) 